What's up, Dot Nation? Welcome to another week's episode of Behind the Dot. It has been a hot minute since we did one of these. A lot has changed, a lot's been happening. Um, I grew a mustache. I also shaved my head, but I'm a bit uh, self-conscious about it. So if you stick all the way to the end, I might show it to you, unless you're a podcast listener. Then just imagine Mr. Clean with like a raccoon on his lip. Now, if you are brand new to Behind the Daw, my apologies for getting such an unfiltered wide on your first time here. Behind the Daw is a podcast where we interview uh, music producers, singers, songwriters, music industry experts, anyone like that underneath that umbrella on an emotional, philosophical, branding, marketing, artistic, music business, basic, li literally all the most important things that you need to know when it comes to having a music career. This week's episode is with Chime, who is an absolutely insane music producer. I mean, mind-bogglingly good. Mind-bogglingly, I'm pretty sure there's seven syllables and boggling lately. Lee. So what are you going to learn this week? That's a good question. There's a lot here. Okay. Like there's a lot of content. So if you're standing up, you better be sitting down. If you're sitting down, you better be laying down. The first topic that we're going to talk about is, is music college worth it? Short answer? No, but we're going to explain why. The second thing that we're going to talk about is why you should deeply care about who you are learning music production from. Right? Why is, why is that important? Why is the quality of the teacher important? Why is the credentials of the teacher important? We're gonna go over it. The third thing that we're gonna talk about is emotional musical intelligence. That sounds really deep because it is. Stay tuned. The fourth thing that we're gonna be talking about is music fusion and why you should be implementing it in your music. Number five, we're gonna be talking about embracing the masculine and the feminine side of yourself to imbue it into your music. Number six, and this sounds really clickbaity because it is, but it's 100% true. Uh, the super simple and super easy way to be able to get signed onto Chime's label Rushdown with even if you have virtually no following. And number seven, which is the title of this video, sound design versus melody. But is it really versus, is it, is it really versus, or are they just two sides to one coin? Or three sides, three-sided coin? Do those exist? Triangle coin, pyramid coin. Maybe the pyramids are just giant coins. That's where sound design came from. And Daw Nation, I am so stoked to announce that this week's episode of Behind the Dot is sponsored by the Alien Weapon walkthrough that we did with AU5. If you have not listened to Alien Weapon by AU5, first off, why? Secondly, it has been known inside of the producer community as an absolute sound design masterpiece. Seriously, people have been freaking out about it, both beginner producers, intermediate, advanced, everyone's just like, what is this? This is insane. All right, if you haven't listened to it, here's a little snippet of it. neat? Isn't that such a neat song? And AU5 is going to go over every single little technique and trick and tip and strategy that he used inside the song. And you get to watch, you get to watch him do it, walk through every little bit of the project file. It's, it's absolute insanity. There's a bunch of uh, uh, concepts he's going to talk about. Here's just a few of them. He's going to go over drums and arrangements and songwriting. Arrangements? How about just arrangement? Not multiple, you know what I'm saying. Arrangement, songwriting, melody, sound design, sample manipulations, mixing. I feel like I'm stumbling over my words. Mastering. There's a whole bunch of stuff in there all inside the Alien Weapon walkthrough. And plus, you also get the opportunity to get a sample pack that's made from Alien Weapon and the project files, the Ableton project files for the production session and the missing and mass missing, the missing and mastering session. Mixing, mixing and mastering sessions. Are you kidding me? Isn't that insane? And the best part of it all is that it's cheap. It's super cheap. It's way cheaper than it would cost to get a private lesson from him. So if you are interested in finding out more about the Alien Weapon walkthrough and joining us inside of the Alien Weapon walkthrough, there is a link that is right below this video, unless you are one of our lovely podcast listeners. In that case, head on over to dawnation.net slash alien weapon. That is dawnation.net slash, forget the slash, alien weapon. But Dawnation, with all that out of the way, let's go behind the DAW with Chime. 
Welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Daw. This week we have Chime. Chime, say what's up to Daw Nation, dude. What's up, Donation? My name is Chime. And what we're going to do very, very first off is Chime is going to share a very important piece of information. And this piece of information is one of the biggest mistakes that he has made inside of his music career. What would that be, Mr. Mr. Chime? The biggest thing was going to university for um, music technology. (laughs) 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 Having listened back uh, to um, a few of your podcasts already, like I think a fair few people have mentioned this. I think on the Dodge and Fusky one, they were like, yeah, don't go. But yeah, so I went to University of Huddersfield. Huddersfield is not a nice place, first of all. It's <laughs> it's one of those places in between, in between places, like in, in England. And it's just a bit scummy. It's just not very nice. Yeah, and I went on a, a music course called Popular Music Production, which you would think would entail some kind of production of popular music. But no, that wasn't really the case. Yeah, and although I learned some useful things, it really was a pretty colossal waste of time and money and and very disheartening. Uh, You know, a lot of the uh, lecturers and um, the other students there were very much like, you are not going to make it (laughs) in what you're trying to do and very like sort of looking down on me and... It was really just like the opposite of what I needed. So yeah, I'd say that was my biggest mistake. But I, I guess in a way that kind of pushed me to be more ambitious in my sort of dream of becoming a professional music producer. So I don't know. <laughs> it, was, it was a mistake that was important to make, I suppose. Good things came out of it in the end. For those who continue on the path of their of their music career, of course, mistakes one day become redeemable, of course. But in retrospect, if you could go back in time with the knowledge that you have now, there's no way that you would go back to to in between town, right? Yeah, no way whatsoever. This is an interesting concept to start off with because as you've listened in other episodes, this is something I'm actually rather passionate about that going to traditional school for something like this, for something like music production. Oh man, what what a what a crap show to say the least, right? So yeah. like have you have you ever met someone that has went to like 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 a Berkeley or like a like a like a like a like a like a music college. Not not I'm not I'm not talking like smaller ones like Icon. I'm I'm talking like an accredited college where they have a bachelor's degree and blah 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 blah. And they're like, dude, this was the best thing for my music career. Has that ever happened to you? No. I mean, first off, like in in the UK, that there aren't really like dedicated music colleges or universities. Well, there, there sort of is. There's um there's one in Leeds, my hometown, called Leeds College of Music. And I think Roscoe went there, but he was not a big fan of it and dropped out after like a couple <laughs> of months. The general consensus is I feel like they're all at least 20 years behind everything that's going on. You know, if you want to learn about, you know, uh, miking up a drum kit or or whatever, or like live sound stuff or anything other than the creative side, they've got you covered. As soon as any kind of creativity creeps in, they just shut that down like so hard. A slight side tangent, take a whole 25 seconds to to talk about. But like, I actually found out why a lot with with music programs inside of actual colleges, why they take so long or why why they seem so behind Mm. is because of the accreditation process, right? So for them to be accredited, in a certain aspect, they have to like go before a board of directors, or at least this is how it is in the United States. I'm not sure how it is in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to go before a board of directors and build a curriculum and there has to be revisions and so on and so forth, right? So to actually keep up with like modern day production is like virtually impossible. Cause it like from, yeah. from the point of like 
of, of, of presenting the curriculum. It's like two or three years before it could get approved, which, you know, like if, if, if we're being like, even, even if they were like on the cutting edge right now, they, they, they were accredited. They're still teaching us stuff back from like 2017, which is, could be relatively outdated at that point. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, and that's, that's, that's a really big problem. So I agree with you. Don't Mm. do that. I also think that like music doesn't need to be academic like in in the final year of my university course i had to do a final year project which i would have loved to have been sort of like a you know written piece alongside an ep or an album or like i was using or looking into a certain recording method or a certain sound design method that sort of thing where i would have something at the end to actually show for it and that could actually help me in my career was completely shot down. And I ended up doing a horrible piece of academic writing about like sound design that they wanted to know like what the intricacies of behind the synth I was using. Whereas I was just going, this is how you make good stuff (laughs) with these synths. It's just every opportunity. I mean, we had a business module as well. And that was really the opportunity to tell us, okay, here's the plethora of ways you can start making money from your skills that you've gained on this course. Uh, And instead, it was really just an advertising campaign for working for Warner Music down in London. They had a thing with Warner and it was basically go and do an office job for Warner and, oh, you might meet some pop stars maybe and it's like now what i'm so glad about is the fact that the internet is so chock full of amazing resources and especially now uh, a lot of people aren't touring and they're making money from doing like tuition and tutorials and that sort of thing like me included and it's it's so good to see people being able to like pay us a reasonable amount of money for sessions with producers that they know and love and they know will give them the results that they want. And yeah, and this is what you were talking about on the Dodge and Fusky episode was that who is teaching you is is so important. If they have nothing to show for themselves, then how can you trust them to teach you anything of of use, really? The guy who was teaching a sound design in in Huddersfield University was gloating about having like a number a number three on the radio in Croatia 20 years ago. And that was like one of his defining achievements. And it's just like, oh man, it's really satisfying for me to be in a position where I've collected all these kind of skills and knowledge, figured out what's what with production. And I'm able to run, you know, tuition sessions where I can go, listen, this is what is actually going on. You don't have to worry about this. People are just trying to show off at you with this, blah, blah, and just tell them the facts, actually help them. That, that's been very redeeming <laughs> for me. I, I agree, man. And, and, and the facts, so, this, so you listen to Dodge and Fusky episode, which I'm really, really grateful for, because that, that literally leads into like the entire concept of this podcast, right? Is actually learning from the people that are doing it, right? Yeah. As you, as you experienced at your college and as I experienced at Icon Collective and the other music colleges that I attended, it was the same thing. It's like, like, who the frick, like, who are you? Like, what, why are you teaching me this? You know what I mean? It's like, dude, like, like, are you, are you touring? Do you have, you know, do you have releases yeah. on all these labels? Do you have this big, huge community? Are you verified on, on Instagram because you have a huge brand? You know, like what, like what is your, your, your claim to fame, which virtually 
there was never anything that was that was worth mentioning, right? But you, yeah. you have all those things. You've done tours in the U.S. You've done tours everywhere. You've you're verified on Instagram because of huge brand. You 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 releases with some of the biggest people in the industry. You're a, you're a well qualified source. So everyone who's listening, uh, you should <laughs> definitely go check out all of his stuff. By the way, which I, usually we plug this at the end, but I'm so excited. I'm plugging it now. Go check out his <laughs> Patreon. It's amazing. You got song walkthroughs over there, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got track breakdowns. Um, the big thing I've been doing is because I've never I've never really put out like fully fleshed out tutorials about any of my stuff. And um, I got a new laptop this year, which actually allows me to do like video stuff without just absolutely having a hissy fit. Yeah. And I've been recording tutorials and stuff on just like everything I feel would be useful. And it's it's great because it's all the stuff I, I really wish I knew from the start because I had such a slow, a slow start to being a music producer. And there was so many things holding me back in terms of like being told you should never do this and then me believing that. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's really nice to, to be able to kind of correct that and really fast track people that uh, I work with and, and hopefully the people on my Patreon as well. I want to get into talking about the shift in 2020. We we're talking about this before we hopped into to recording this call, the shift in 2020 that's moving from uh, that's that's moving more towards melodic music as opposed to just purely sound design music. And I feel mm-hmm. like there's going to be a lot of interesting topics about that. Before we get into that, I actually have a really interesting story for you. So you and I were actually supposed to hang out right before COVID hit because you were going to come on a tour oh, yeah. with AU5 for the Voidwalkers tour, right? Yeah, and you were going to yeah. come to Salt Lake City and I had this all planned out with AU5 and he's like, you cool if Chime comes? Look at that cool if Chime comes. Come on. <laughs> and we were going to do it. We were going to go. Oh, dude, I can't. I don't. I can't tell. Oh, Frick. Okay, audio editors, edit this out. So hopefully one day that does happen. Okay, yeah. let's get into talking about this because this is this is really really interesting because this is something that I've struggled with with for a long time inside of the basing. I'm a bass head. You know, obviously you love sound design as well. You know, like we hang out with people with like, like A5 and and so on and so forth. You can't you can't be in this group of people without loving sound design. You know what yeah. I mean? And and so we all love that. However, I have felt for the last couple of years that there has been a significant lack of emotion and lack of soul, or maybe a lack of a certain type of emotion in which I am looking for inside of inside of bass music. Because I'll just listen to a rhythm track and I'd be like this is great. Like, yep. Headbang. Yay. Angst, you know, anger, fun. But like, I'm, I, you know, like I, I, I'm a human, so I feel other things besides those emotions. So (laughs) frick, you know what I mean? And so now I'm looking for something else. So you, you feel like that there has been kind of a revival in that sense where like melodic has started to come back into the bass scene, so to say. Yeah. I think, um, in general, as you add more kind of like tonality into the mix, it does make it a lot easier to have kind of a broader spectrum of uh, emotions in there. Because like if you're sticking to just like mostly sta- uh, sound design and pretty like atonal stuff, which has been popular for like the past like, I don't know, two or three years, I, I feel like that is that is limiting in a way. There's so much you can do with it. You know, I'm still super impressed with like so many artists that are doing that style and still pushing the boundaries in what to me feels like a a kind of more confined space. I've always preferred melody to be involved and musicality in general. You feel like there's been like a a resurgence. It's like there's been a lot of, a lot more people that's taking this or or, or implement, how do I say this? There's been a lot more people producing more melodic, I don't want to say melodic bass because that kind of like 
suggest like things like Elenium or Trivecta or... I've been calling my music color bass for the past few years. And the reason is like th- there really is only like two sides of the spectrum, or at least there, there has been for... Uh, a while it's been the kind of like excision headbanger pure anger release sort of like feeling music and then you've got yeah like a lenium seven lions that side where it's you know cry banging or whatever <laughs> whatever they call it like kind of just like epicness i just kind of feel like there's there's so much in between those two there's so much you you can do in between like there's why don't we just have fun with a tune which is a kind of like what i explore with like my wobbly stuff like UK style stuff. There's kind of like reminiscent stuff. So like a lot of, um, you know, I'm very nostalgic for like 2012, 2011 dubstep because that's when I really started getting into it. So that sort of throwback feeling is emotional in a sense because it's taking you back to that time in your life. So that's why I like touching on different er like eras of uh, dubstep as well. Yeah, and this is all really aided by applying more musicality, really. There's there's a lot more you can feel with a chord and different n- notes and in their intersections and interplay between those harmonics like than, than you can get with, you know, just pure... Yeah, I, I don't know, just like sound design. But I, yeah, I don't know, sound design isn't the word. It's atonality, really. Without getting too ultra deep because i'm afraid if we get too ultra deep we'll just spiral down this concept and never stop talking about it we as humans when we hear something anything that we hear everything that we hear it helps us react in a certain way right so for example if you heard you know glass breaking from the kitchen right now that would that would elicit an emotional reaction to you right yeah you know you you hear something and your brain reacts to it and so this this doesn't stop with music, obviously. So once you start getting into music, it starts evoking different emotions, different experiences, different memories, different thought processes, and so on and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. And from from my, and I'd love to know your opinions, opinion on this, I, from my uh, perception is that when you create a piece of music that is just purely sound design focused, or even, even mostly sound design, like 80, 90% sound design focused, and the melodies take the kind of the the background, so to say. It will provide an emotional experience inside of you just like everything else will, but it almost feels two-dimensional, right? Because you're really only kind of tapping into certain t- parts of the brain when when those things are played. Whereas if you had something that was sound design heavy as well as melodically heavy, well, now you're not only tapping into those parts of the brains where the sound design or the, the parts of the brains that, that, that ignite with sound design, but now you're tapping into the side of the brain where the melodic pieces are igniting that part. And it's a much more, in my opinion, a much more rich emotional experience. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd totally agree with that really. Like, um, I think that there's nothing wrong with writing music literally for the live experience because that's kind of an emotional experience in itself. Like, and kind of writing music for a good crowd reaction is an art form in itself as well. And I've written tra- tracks like that, but yeah, I agree. There's 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 a biggest spectrum um, out there, and I, you know, dubstep for the most part is seen as you know that that former thing I mentioned with you know, where it's all just kind of for the live experience. Uh, there's the misconception of like, you need to be on drugs to enjoy it and that kind of thing. But yeah, I, my goal has always kind of been to have it, it be enjoyable and kind of a little bit deeper to listen to at home as well as uh, in the live experience, really. Yeah, just just offer a little bit more sort of depth 
Yeah, because an idea for a track could be a really, really addicting rhythm. And that, that's really why rhythm has been so popular, is that my take on it is that it's locking in a really just infectious pattern and just repeating it. And it's that repetition that allows it to be more of like a groove than crazy flourishing orchestral piece or whatever, right? That's what I like about rhythm is when you get into just like that really nice kind of head bopping mode with with rhythm, it's great. But uh, that has like extreme potential to be very, very samey, very, very um, repetitive almost. Uh, and that's why kind of like introducing those melodic elements and combining them together with that infectious flow of rhythm is is just like such a sweet spot for me that I've been kind of trying to figure out for uh, a little while now. I do need to clarify for those that are listening. I'm not. I I do not want to suggest that rhythm or just heavy bass music that doesn't have a lot of melody does not have its place or does not have its value. Yeah, of course it does. It's it's just like how would. You know, if, if we relate this to food, just like a banana has a value. However, you don't want to eat a banana 14 times a day, right? After a while, you're like, okay, dude, I, I'm sorry. I, I really, really want some asparagus. I just, <laughs> I need that nutritious green thing. I need it, please, right? And and it's, and it's the same with, in, in my mind at least, it's the same with, you know, like more just heavy bass music as opposed to more melodic bass music. Or this is so hard to use the word bass because it's like, do you mean bass or bass? Do you know what I mean? More melodically driven music. Um, because in in my mind, though the though making heavy bass music is complex in in the sound design itself, it does without the melody, I feel like emotionally it does become two-dimensional because it's like without the context of the melody, it's kind of hard to place the sound design on the emotional spectrum. You know what I mean? Because I feel like yeah. w- left to its own devices, I feel like a growl is angry. You know what I mean? I would never I would never hear a growl and be like, that's serene, right? But listening to the growl in context with a, 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 a heavenly melody, all of a sudden it's like, oh, here's, a, here's an emotional color that I haven't seen before or I haven't felt for a while. Yeah. And so I do feel like sound design without melody does become emotionally two-dimensional, which is why I referred it to like a banana, which is not very calorically dense, right? I need something a little bit more dense from time to time just to make me emotionally well-rounded and stable and, you know, to be able to experience those emotions that we were supposed to experience. We're getting really deep into this. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up as well because I think contrast is a, is a thing we've been missing for quite a few years in the dubstep scene as well. Like from my experience of just like, the live shows I've been at in America, which, which to be fair, hasn't been a lot. Uh, I only started experiencing live shows in America really in 2017 when I started playing them. Uh, people are happy to just kind of hit the same feel of track like over and over and over again. But I, I find it really tough when it's just like pure 100% like aggression over and over and over and over again and just trying to be as heavy as possible that whole time. For a while, that 100% energy level starts to wear on you and it just kind of goes down to nothing for me. And that, that's why like when I play sets and I put together mixes, variety is, is one of my like top priorities really, because there's, I, I, I mentioned, I feel like I mentioned this in like every single like interview and podcast and whatever, but like there's so many flavors and eras of dubstep now, like dubstep has been going on for over a decade now. And so many little niches and kind of subgenres have emerged. It just kind of baffles me. I'm like, why? Why do we have to only play music from this year in this style for an hour? I'm like, 
Let's let's hear like a throwback. Let's hear like an original uh, Roscoe tune halfway through here, and then mix it straight into something really heavy, and then into something like super futury or or whatever. Like that. That's one of my favorite things about dubstep is that it's been around long enough now to take on all these different kind of faces and flavors. Yeah, I like to celebrate that in my mixes, but I, it just baffles me why people don't don't do that. <laughs> it seems there's there's a phrase that that I kept hearing inside my mind when you were talking about this. And I'm like, man, what, what a, what a concept that the, that the professionals like yourself understand, but what I've seen missing inside of, inside of, you know, amateur producers and DJs, which is this idea of emotional intelligence when it comes to producing, when it comes to performing live. Right. Whereas an amateur will just produce heavy banger after banger, 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 after banger. And it's it's draining. It's like, you know, like after a while, there is an artist that I will say to you right now, but I'll have one of my editors edit this out. Um, he goes by the name, you ever heard of him before? Yes. Every single one of his songs, they're all bangers and they're all very, like very much the same. And in my opinion, and every time I listen to him, I'm like, like it's, it's kind of like that two dimensional feeling. It's like, okay, like, but I kind of want something, you know what I mean? Like, I like you, but like, can't you, give me something else. you know what I mean it's like there's nothing to grab you there's nothing to hold on to and so this idea of emotional intelligence being like hey like I I am a human I am I am an emotional being I have an entire catalog of of emotions that I go through and that I experience and that I want to experience and that I want to discover and to suggest that your that your music only has to stick on one of those feelings or two of those feelings is just it goes against human nature and, and and it also applies in in the in the live uh performance aspect right if you, if someone comes to a show and they just rage for an hour at a time oh my gosh how draining yeah. how how emotionally unhealthy you know what i mean like it, to, so what you're saying is you're being emotionally intel- intelligent where you're producing these things that that do incorporate that spectrum and that does uh when 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 you're performing that that gives them that that spectrum to make the emotional experience more rich is that what you're saying uh, yeah, I suppose, I suppose so. Really, it's it's the sort of it, you you can't just keep the energy level at one point, especially at a live experience. I've been to live shows where we have a breakdown, so we can just chill out for a second. And uh, yeah, I think those points are really important. Most on the surface, like obvious appeal of dubstep is it's kind of in your face, impact like heaviness that that everybody loves that about dubstep i i feel like new djs come along and they're like right well that's that's what my set needs to be it needs to be as heavy as physically possible if you don't have the quieter calmer sections to kind of chill out on for a bit you're just gonna run out of energy so quickly and i've experienced that myself at shows where i'm just like oh man i i don't want to go home like <laughs> just because it's relentless and it's it's tough to achieve that when you're you're not introducing like any melodic elements i feel a breakdown if you're not using notes is just kind of sound effects <laughs> I, I don't know and it's it's not for me there, there are people that absolutely crush that stuff if you put a super super heavy tune that would normally be in one of those kind of mixes and you have it drop all of a sudden from an artist like me that you might not expect it that's going to have a much bigger impact and that's that's why i love dropping like odd profit tunes and ominous tunes in my sets because people are like what he's not supposed to like this kind of music and i'm like i do but in those in those small doses in between like other kinds 
lines of dubstep, they work so well, I feel like. So I know that we've been dancing around this concept of melodic rhythm, but I don't feel like we've really like dove into the concept of melodic rhythm. I think, at least I don't think we have to the extent of what you want to. Is that correct? Like, is there more of what you want to discuss with melodic rhythm? I'm really excited about the kind of fusion that started really coming together in 2020. And I've mentioned this in, um, I did an interview with Naughty Step with uh, Ace Aura, kind of all about this subject, really. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's interesting because we've, like, me and him, Ace Aura, and, like, a bunch of the guys on Rushdown, my label, uh, have been kind of, like, cooking up this these new kind of sound design techniques where you're mixing and more closely fusing together um, bass sounds with tonality. And there's, like, so many different ways you can do that now, and there's people figuring out new stuff all the time right now. And I haven't felt this kind of forward momentum um, and excitement for where dubstep is going. I haven't felt like that for a long time, I feel like. Because when I first got into dubstep, I was like, what are they going to do next? I got into it in about like, I don't know, 2010, 11. And I was like, yeah, okay, it's pretty good. And then like I heard like Xylent. I was like, you can make chords sound this big and impactful. And then Skrillex came along and flipped everything upside down. And then Zomboy was doing really cool stuff and like playing with the flow of dubstep. That was my context for getting into dubstep. I was like, this is just going to get more and more and more exciting. Yeah, I feel like that really leveled off um, after a little while, which kind of disappointed me. But now... Like this year, that's is the first time I felt that feeling back. This is getting exciting again. And I, I love the fact that it's happening now amongst my generation of producers and below, like where, not below, but like later. <laughs> um, the guys we're bringing on to Rushdown, some of them are insanely young and they're coming up with just absolutely brand new sound design techniques and new stuff that I haven't heard before. Uh, and that's another thing, like new sounds... I mean, I feel like a lot of stuff has been done to death in dubstep and there are actual new sounds happening now, mind-blowingly new. So this idea of you taking two different genres, right? Rhythm. Well, I guess I guess you can't really say that melodic is a genre, but yeah. In in a you know, in a way it is a fusion, right? It is a fusion of taking melodic elements and 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 more heavy sound design elements and creating something new. This idea of fusing two things that have already been proven to work um, and bring them together and hopefully create synergy between them to create something even bigger than than anything else ever has anything that has come before it is is not a real is not a new concept, but it has never lost its its powerful impact. You know what I mean? Like if we look back on not only music but anything in the past however many years, you know, you take this concept and you take this concept and fuse together. Holy crap, this is bigger than both of those two, you know, combined, you know what I mean? And and so this idea of fusing two things that you're really, really interested in or that, that, that you're passionate about is not only a good idea. I mean, it's been proven time and time and time and time again to be very, very fruitful, right? And obviously that is, that is being proven with you right now. And the, however, one big hurdle that I've experienced that I know that uh, our listeners have listened or that our listeners have experienced. I'm sure you have experienced this a lot is that the idea of fusing two things that you like together is really cool. The application of how to fuse those two things together. Oh my gosh. That's when it gets really freaking difficult. I remember, I remember this is a, this is a horrible example, but I'm sharing it. I remember on the first Valentine's day, Valentine's day, not Valentine's day. I'm an adult. I know it's Valentine's um, on the first, Valentine's Day after my wife and I got married, I was like, I'm going to make 
this amazing breakfast. She's going to love it. Okay, how do I do this? Okay, uh, well, um, all right, it's going to be unique. It's got to be special. I like eggs. Eggs are cool. And I like orange juice, orange juice eggs. Here we go. So I put orange <laughs> juice in the eggs, cooked it. Absolutely atrocious, awful, terrible idea. The worst thing in the world, right? But yet, you know what I mean? You go to, you go to, you know, you go to a Chinese joint and it's like, dude, like they put oranges with chicken. That is such a great idea. Mm. How the frick did they get it to work? You know what I yeah. mean? It's like, but still like, it's this concept of like, oh, but it looks so simple. You just combined melodic pieces with rhythm. No, 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 no. It's not that simple. You know what I mean? So my, my question where I'm getting at this is, is like, how, 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 how would it, do you have like a personal method, a, pers a personal system of like taking two things that you really like and then combining them to, in a way that actually works? It's actually like, okay, this is really dope. You know what I mean? You see what I'm saying? I actually think that's a really good, um, really good analogy actually. Yeah. Cause uh, what, what I, what I really like about this combination is that, you know, it was only a few years ago that you would say melodic rhythm and everybody would be like, what you can't, you can't can't do that. You know, the defining characteristics of rhythm is that it isn't very melodic. Huge props go to Ace Aura, really, because he was the kind of catalyst for a lot of us kind of figuring out how to make that combination work. You know, he, he showed me uh, some kind of sound design techniques he'd been using and really shifted the focus from having these bass patterns where there's like melodic stuff going on and separately, but in the same pattern, there's heavy bass stuff going on. Because that's been a thing for ages. That's been a thing throughout dubstep really but the methods of layering and combining sounds so that a sound is both a growl and a chord that's what kind of unlocked everything because then you could have you could basically convert what is a regular like rhythm tune into something melodic by you know colorizing the basses and putting in chords and then having a chord sequence and then hey why don't we also have these basses play a melody over the top of that and it's all mixing together into this one uniform sound that's hitting multiple notes that's kind of the delicate balance i think some of that also comes from like fox stevenson where you know he would have uh like tracks like miss you where he has a, a melody over the top and he has a bass line underneath they're playing together at the same kind of lfo rates and stuff but together they're creating a chord sequence and like a counter melody in between each other and that that i found re really interesting and then i kind of combine that with Asora's sort of techniques and I've figured out some of my own stuff. Yeah, and you, you kind of end up with the sort of like tracks I've been putting out recently. A lot of trial and error. I think I, I was trying to make melodic rhythm back in like 2017 with like Featherweight on um, one of my Firepower EPs. But again, it was, it was kind of like it was too separated still. It, it was, it kind of just felt more bro steppy because yeah, the, the bases were separated from the melodic elements. They were more just like fills, but now the, those are, are fused together. We've got the orange chicken going on instead of the, the orange eggs. A couple nights ago. Do you know, do you know uh, who Halion is? Halion, yeah. A vocalist, right? Vocalist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So amazing vocalist. Her and her husband were cooking up something special that I cannot legally disclose right now, um, but we're cooking up <laughs> something special. Uh, kept, they came to, to my house and they always do their, their live streams on Monday night. So we all hopped on the live stream and it was feedback session. And literally like, like right at the very first thing that we all discussed inside the feedback session, it's like, okay, first off, before we get into this, you guys got to know this concept, okay? Which is 
when it comes to music, there's a lot of spectrums when it comes to music, but there's this very specific spectrum that you need to be aware of. At one end of the spectrum is familiarity, something that you are familiar with, something that you have emotional ties to, something that, you know, that feels like home or it feels familiar, right? And then on the other end of the spectrum is new, exciting, yeah. weird, so on and so forth, right? And of course, the best place to be is in the middle, right? If you're too far to the left, congratulations, you sound like every single rhythm song that's been released for the last three years. If you're too far to the right, I didn't realize that this was music. What is this? I didn't <laughs> like what, what is going on here? I, I don't know how to feel about this. I feel weird. I don't, I don't, you know, so on and so forth, right? And so to find that middle ground where it's this feels familiar, I like this, this is connecting with me, but also this is also helping me explore a different part of me that I didn't know. This is super dope, right? Yeah. And so this idea with this, this idea of fusing two different concepts, again, comes back to this, to this, to this idea of finding something that's familiar, rhythm, and creating something, a new opportunity, so to say, with bringing more melodic things into it. And I feel like this concept, like seriously, if, if producers like really just like tattoo this on their forehead, embed it into their blood type, something, <laughs> you know what I mean? Is like, if you can master this, this ability to, to create something that is so familiar yet so new, I personally feel like you're like success is inevitable at that point. Like, what do you think? Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned this because this, this is a philosophy I've been following for, for years now, really. I think it, it kind of comes from my dad a little bit. He, he owned a graphic design business for for a very long time. You know, he designs logos and does that old branding kind of stuff. And he, he, a lot of his lessons kind of transferred to me in terms of like creative stuff. But one of those was kind of this idea of like the familiar, combining the familiar with the new and the strange. And I, yeah, I, I love doing that with my with my music as well. Because an, another thing I I personally enjoy, you know, I'm a guy, right? I'm male. <laughs> um, but just going to come out and say, <laughs> hopefully not a surprise to anyone. But yeah, I've never felt like I'm particularly masculine, right? You know, throughout school and stuff, it was the 90s, the 2000s, where we weren't as kind of woke as we are now. There was still a lot of like expectations for when you're male, like liking football in the UK was a big thing, or soccer for the US, like not showing emotions or like you provide for your family and all that, you know, all that bollocks, right? I feel like this connects to my music a lot because I really enjoy making what you might consider like girly music. You know, a lot of my stuff is kind of sparkly, and like pink and fairy dust and rainbows and that sort of thing. That's why I really enjoy the kind of combination of like this heavy side with this kind of more feminine side. Because I feel like for a lot of guys who might go to dubstep shows as well, they might not be particularly in touch with their feminine side. They might have been suppressing that because of, you know, what society has, has kind of like shaped us to be as men and i feel like my music the familiar is is the heaviness the familiar is the fact that you can you can headbang to my stuff feel free but the new and the the thing i'm kind of encouraging audiences to to be more comfortable with is that feminine side feeling okay and feeling welcome to be more emotional to dance your heart out and just just enjoy to the extreme, you know, what, what is happening. That's why I love, I absolutely love the combination of those, those two styles. I've always been, 
you know, with dubstep, if it's all the way heavy, I'm like, it needs some melody. I need some more like feeling, more things to kind of hold on to. And it's the same thing with like, you know, the kind of like super sore, just fully chord based stuff. I'm like, I need some, I need some grit. I need some more impact here. Like the middle has always been my favorite place to be but yeah it connects to a lot of sort of being in the middle in my life you know i'm the middle sibling you're the middle kid yeah i'm kind of like (laughs) the odd one out in my siblings they've gone into like more uh like visual media but i'm like the audio guy and yeah so it's kind of like embracing my difference to everyone else and i think that's what artists should embrace they should embrace what's different about them what's unique about them you know i've spent i've spent this is getting super deep but like i've spent a lot of my life trying to fit in especially at school i was just so horribly like not i I just had no self-worth whatsoever and i i based my opinion on myself on what everyone else thought of me and so I was just desperately desperately trying to fit in do what was right and that would just make things worse with like bullying and all that stuff so it's been really enlightening and fulfilling to embrace what's unique about me and my experience of music in my own productions. This concept that you brought up is actually a very, 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 very important one. I do feel like how you're saying like like 10 years ago because you're what how old are you now you're 28, 27, 26? 26. 26. Okay. So you and I grew up in a relatively similar, well, not even, I'm not going to say relatively similar. We grew up in the same time, right? I graduated in 2011. I'm 27. So like, I'm right there with you. So I remember what it was like being in school and this, this expectation, even though we were in two different countries, this, this, this stoic expectation, right? Of, of you do not show emotions. You, you are a man, you are, you are gritty. You, you know, like you are pumped full of testosterone to the point where your prefrontal cortex is overridden by your testosterone. And it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, I remember that. And uh, thankfully now it's not so much like that, but this, 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 uh, this toxic masculinity concept still permeates, you know, it's still, it's still kind of there. And I found it really interesting of how you were saying, like, you do, I mean, you do have that, like, you have this desire to create these thick bass sounds, these meaty, and some would say manly bass sounds, right? But you also have this, this desire for more of the emotional side, this desire of what, how you deem, or what you uh, classified as more of the feminine uh, side of you to come out and so on and so forth, right? Yeah. This, this is something I've thought about deeply for a long time because much like yourself I grew up in a very emotionally toxic culture I mean dude I grew up in a town of 244 people like if you want to get it if we want to get an environment where people love to like hyper separate emotions you know what I mean it's like if you are a dude you are a farmer and you are a hunter and you do not complain you work 16 hours a day and if you are a woman you stay in the kitchen and you raise 12 kids you know what I mean like there's 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 no separation between the two but to suggest that is so stupid did you know this is fun this is a little fun fact did you know do you know how far along in a pregnancy someone has to be before they can define the gender of the child do you know how far along that is my brother and his partner are like about to pop out a baby like any minute now so i should probably know this I, i'm not sure it's pretty far along though right yeah it's 20 weeks it's literally 50 percent of the way through and guess what even after that even after that it can change and so this idea that we as humans whether you are male or whether you're female i'm not, I'm not necessarily like getting into like gender doesn't exist i'm not i'm not i'm not walking down that path whatsoever it's more so more more so this like this hard distinction like males are supposed to f- 
fit within this box, this this emotional box. They have to be, you know what I mean. And females fit with this in within this emotional box, and they and they have to be like that. It's just it's just asinine, you know what I mean? Like, guess you know when me and my wife got married. Guess who was the one who cried? It was me, not my wife. <laughs> yeah. Oh, same here. I uh, like straight up. Yeah. <laughs> Were you just bawling, and everyone's like, "It's okay. Like everything's gonna be okay. It's okay." <laughs> Sorry to go off tangent. Uh, yeah, that was interesting because I think a lot of my like friends, particularly like male friends from like uh, school that were at my wedding were like, you're supposed to be the the stoic one that does, you know, doesn't show his emotions. And I'm like, yeah, I'm past that now. <laughs> I resonate with that, with you on that, on, on 18 different levels. And so, I mean, I mean, it's just, it's so fascinating because if you look at us, right, if you look at this, if we're like talking about this, you know, on, on a mature basis and, the, and, you know, as though we're not middle school teenagers, you know, like, like if you look at a human body, a male and a female body, yes, there, there are very slight differences. You know what I mean? Just very slight differences. And it's, and it's the same with the brain. There are only very slight differences, but then to suggest that we are just two completely different species, you know, for us to basically have 98% of the same equipment and to suggest that we are completely different. And, and if we experience something that quote unquote, the other gender is supposed to experience, oh, we're, 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 we're to be shamed because of that. We're, we're, we're supposed to be guilted in the, in, you know, the thing that we're weird, we're outcasted. You know what I mean? You see what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. I, I I feel like the less separation we have between you know those roles and the more we just see people as people, I, that's that's going to remove so many issues in the world. Like honestly, and I do need to make a really quick disclaimer about this for those that are listening. We're not trying to go into any hyper sensitive topics. You know, gender gender fluidity, uh, gender neutrality, transgenders. We're not we're not trying to enter into that. That's not necessarily what we're, what we're trying to talk about here. You know what I mean? It's more so there are males and there are females, but to suggest that they are two different species, basically. Toxic separation of the two things and the pigeonholing of of those two. Yeah, that, that's what we're against, really, isn't that's, it? That's what we're against, right? Because we do have feelings. You have feelings, I have feelings, and to suggest that the men, men can't cry at their wedding, well, frick, I guess the best day of my life is just a waste now because I have to conform to some image that Farmer John has of me. You know what I mean? It's like, no. And so anyways, that was deep. Thank you for going down that rabbit hole with me. I want to talk about Rushdown. Like, like, so with Rushdown, it's your label. It's amazing. You know, there's, there's a lot of people, probably one of the most asked questions when it comes to donation in general is that how do you get on the good side of a label? Like, what are the the tricks and the tactics of how to really, really impress them. Is there anything that you would say to that? I mean, I think I know the answer just from getting to know you from the last hour, but like... In terms of Rushdown, it really is like one cool track. It's it, That's it. Yeah, just going through the demo submissions, we've been kind of like filling up the New Colors compilations. We've actually got up to like volume four now. We've just released volume two and that's already filling up fast with like these new producers it's like one good track submission is is all that like stands between uh you and rushdown i guess for the bigger labels uh, th this is the thing the bigger labels generally are they're a lot more difficult to approach and get involved with especially if you're not known from other things that's why rushdown i i want to be a jumping off point for for producers because I know that the guys at Disciple are kind of listening to the releases as they come through. We've just set up like a, a huge like DJ promo list that has like Excision and Virtual Riot and stuff on and Xylent and A5. So, you know, like our releases are going to kind of land in their inboxes as well. It, it's it's tough. I, I don't know how you get noticed by the bigger labels. For me, for me with Firepower, which is like 
the first like big label release at the time, like when it came out, it was just a matter of my manager also worked with Fox Stevenson, who had also released on Firepower. And so I just made an EP and then he sent it and they accepted it. Like (laughs) it was just the fact that that connection was there. They trusted his input and they liked the EP and that was it. If you are on one of those bigger labels, then you're going to be generally known as someone who's kind of accepted in the scene. And then you can jump to other labels and work with them and whatever. Right. So I love this. I love that. Like your vision is that it's like, listen, yeah, there are labels out there that, you know, they're looking at the socials. They're looking at the monthly listeners. They're looking at the tours. They're looking at the blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? And it makes sense. I mean, like like a, you know, like a, a, a label like Ophelia or a label like Monster Cat. I mean, they got a lot. They got a, a lot of overhead. You know what I mean? They got, oh my gosh, the amount of overhead that goes into promoting an ep or promoting a, a song. I mean, it makes sense. And so they want to bring people on where they know like the return on investment is significant. However, someone like you, you're like, I just want dope music, man. Like, exactly, I just, yeah. I just want dope music. I want to help people. So I would suggest everyone that's listening to this podcast right now, if you fit within that color base realm, go submit to Rushdown because that would be such a good starting off point, right? Yeah, exactly. Like if you, if I feel like your music is on track, is exciting in some way or feels new or feels like it, it would be, it would fit well with like the rest of our artists, then yeah, I, I, I'd love to get you involved basically. I think with all this being said, we're going to wrap up with one final question. This is a really, really good question. One that you've been sitting on since the beginning of this interview, which is what is the best decision that you have ever made inside of your music career? I think helping others up the ladder as you climb it yourself. I, I think that's really, really important. And I think it's it's so fulfilling to come up as part of a team, you know, to have others, others help you and for you to do the same um, to those, you know, kind of like earlier in their, their career path. I think that that is so much more enjoyable than just going, I myself, I'm going to get to the top of this and I'm not going to help anyone else. I'm not going to, you know, it's just me. A lot of dubstep producers are on the same page as me about that, but I do feel like there are others that are just like, no, it's just me. I'm not going to collaborate with anyone. I'm only going to collaborate with people if it benefits me or, or whatever. I mean, you, you could probably find a lot of success like that. For me, it's it's so much more rewarding, yeah, to offer that helping hand and not just care about yourself, care about other people, come up together. It's it's so lovely. It's great. I love it. I kind of have this, this image or like this, this visual inside of my mind, right? Where it's like, you know, like imagine... Oh, you're running away from this thing. I don't know. Maybe it's a tsunami, a monster, or something. You're like you're running away from something that's life threatening, right? And you have to climb this wall, and all these people are climbing this wall. And imagine you being the person that's like stepping on people's faces and like ripping their hair out, just like climbing on top of them, right? The the other example is like you looking back and you like seeing someone who's trying to get his family up over the wall. He's, he's struggling, whatever. And you reach down, you grab him, you help pull them up, right? And then to to think about like those two different scenarios, like obviously like that's extreme scenarios, like that's life threatening scenarios, but still that concept still applies to your music career because for those who are taking this seriously, that taking their music career seriously, some type of equivalent of that story that I just said will eventually happen. You will have the choice to look someone in the eye, someone that you could help, something that, that, that you, like you have a deep, there's a feeling deep inside of you like, I should help them, I could help them, so on and so forth. And you will be brought to a crossroad where you will step on their face or you will 
grab them and bring them with you. You know what I mean? You need to decide now what kind of person that you are. Now, of course, like I, I would, I would, I would, <laughs> I would assume that most people listening to this podcast would be like, no, like I, I want to be that person that helps helps people up over the wall, so to say. However, we all say that when things are good, right? We all say that when we're happy. We all say that when like, oh yeah, you know, like I'm just in my car listening to the podcast with Wyatt and Chime right now. And of course I would be that person. But the thing is when things get going tough, you know, like when, when fame starts coming, when the results start coming, when pressure starts coming, when stress starts coming, when the deadlines start coming, all of a sudden it gets a lot harder to remain that person, right? So to, so to decide that you are that person now, that you will remain your humanity no matter what fame comes, no matter what stress comes, no matter what deadline comes and be like, you know what, when I feel it, when I feel like that person needs my help, I could introduce that person to so-and-so or, you know, you know, I could take 30 seconds to give that guy feedback or what, whatever it is, right? Whatever, whatever, whatever that situation is for you to, to stay true to that humanity that is inside of you, I feel like is something that you need to decide right here, right now, right? Would you agree with that? Oh yeah, totally. We, we live in a world where we can make noises on our laptops and then go and play those noises very loud at people who are going to enjoy those noises. <laughs> like, it's such a weird and unique opportunity. I, I think people take it so seriously as if it it's so easy to get caught up in that, like, you know, I've I got to get more followers. I've got to get on this label to then I can do this or whatever. Like, for me, it's not about that. It's about enjoyment. It's about sharing that joy with other people, having as many of these experiences as possible within this ridiculous foundation there's so many horrible things happening in the world all the time we can come together and bring you know whatever amount of joy it is about this fantastic celebration of sound design and chaos and craziness that is dubstep and we can create a community around that that keeps people going and makes people happy. That's my job. My job is not to become the next marshmallow or like whoever the biggest like artist is ever in the world. That's not my job. My job is to keep myself afloat and then enjoy the process of it because yeah, what it what else is there to do really in life? Well, with that being said, it was an honor to have you on here. Is there any final words that you would like to say to Donation before we head out? Thank you for listening. Thanks for having me on, Wyatt. I've been really enjoying talking. Really enjoyed this. And uh, hopefully I came across in the, in the way I wanted to. Final question for you. With your experience that you've had on the podcast, with what we've talked about, do you feel like you, do you, could you morally recommend Donation to other producers? Do you think this is a good thing for producers to partake of and to, to help them grow on their path? Yeah, of course. Yeah, as I mentioned, like towards the beginning, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts such as this one. It, yeah, it's really enjoyable to hear like the backstory and and some of the thoughts behind a lot of and, and the philosophies of people's music. I think it it just adds so much more enjoyment when you go to that artist's catalog and and start listening through. You've got more context. You've got more of a sense of who they are as a person. And I think that that helps contextualize the music in a way that makes it a little deeper. So yeah, at, at any kind of of podcasts like this, particularly the way you guys are running things at Donation, I can definitely recommend. What's up, Donation? I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Behind the Dot. But listen, do not head out yet. Please promise me, commit to me that you will not head out yet. There's still some things we need to talk about. If you like this episode, make sure to like, comment, subscribe, whatever else is available and appropriate on whatever platform that you're listening on. Maybe it's follow, maybe it's... Uh, what else can you do? It doesn't matter, all right? Do any of those things, we'd really appreciate it. In fact, if this episode really hit home, if you found things in here that really 
just hit you in the chest. See how I hit myself? If it did that to you, screenshot it. All right, screenshot this episode, head on over to whatever your favorite social media is and tag me and Chime over there, okay? We'd love to know what truly resonated with you because the more you do that, the more I'm like, oh, hey, they like this and they like this. I get it, we should make more content like that. You see what I'm saying? Because we're trying to help you. We're trying to bring uh, valuable pieces of content to you. And the only way that we do it is with the feedback, okay? So leave a comment or take a screenshot or do whatever, do whatever is appropriate. We just wanna know what is helping you. And if you haven't checked out our In The Daw series yet, that is where we interview music producers and they come and break down their songs in real time. All right, you get to see in their DAW, you get to see all the tricks and tips and everything that they're doing. It's absolutely wonderful. Uh, the most recent episode that we did was with AU5. He's breaking down his song, The Way To Infinity. Uh, that was released on Slander's label, Heaven Set. Absolutely insane, so much knowledge, okay? So if you wanna up your production game, all right, go check out that episode of In The Daw. Uh, you can go to the description. There's a link in the description to check that out. Or um, you can head on over to dawnation.net slash TWTI. That stands for The Way To Infinity. Makes sense, right? That's dawnation.net slash TWTI. And while we're talking about AU5 behind his back, uh, this week's episode is sponsored by the Alien Weapon Walkthrough by AU5. It's absolute insanity, okay? He walks through every nook and cranny, every bit and piece of his song, Alien Weapon. You watch the whole thing, it describes it, shows his process. You even get the chance to get the sample pack and the project file, it's literal insanity, okay? So if you wanna check out the Alien Weapon Walkthrough, again, go down in the description. There's a link down there, you can check it out there or if you're listening on the podcast, you can't get to that link, not a problem, dawnation.net slash alien weapon. So if you're ready to join the alien weapon walkthrough, head on down into the description, click that link, or if you can't get to that link, go to dawnation.net slash alien weapon. We'd love to see you over there. We'd love to have you inside of there. With that being said, have a great day. Leave lots of comments down there. Tell me what's going on, what you liked about this episode, who you want on uh, future episodes, or just any comment. Honestly, I just want to hear from you guys, okay? So with that being said, talk to you soon. See you on the next episode.